As a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church for over 17 years, let me share that I have received my fair share of criticism. And while I could tell you the horror stories that come with all of that, the trauma that I hold on to, <laughs> I want to tell you a story that sticks with me to this day. And I just, it's one of those things that I can't get out of my mind. It was an, it was an older gen- gentleman that would frequent our church. He was not a member of our church, but he would come not on Sabbath mornings, but he would come on Wednesday nights when we had our Wednesday night programs. And every Wednesday he would come to me and he would criticize me and criticize us as a congregation for having worship services on Saturdays, on Sabbath. He too was a Sabbath keeper, but according to him, we were not. We drove to church. We turned lights on. We used electricity. We would turn on an oven to warm up food, to serve, and to eat. What we were doing to him was considered terrible, awful. The furnace being on, air conditioner being on, things along those lines. So one day I finally asked him, I said, well, what do you do? What do you do to keep Sabbath? So he begins to go down his list. He doesn't drive. He shuts off all the water to his house. Before that, he gets a couple of buckets ready for the bathroom. He would shut off all power to the house. He would take all of his items out of his refrigerator on Friday and put them in a cooler with ice. He you know, wouldn't heat up anything, so everything he ate was cold and, or, or ready to eat. Um, but he would also, he said, but I also charge up a lot of batteries that I place around the house. Okay. So I had to ask, well, what are the batteries for? His response? He said, the batteries are for my three televisions so I can watch college football all day. And at that moment, I wanted, you know, I'm biting, right? I wanted so badly to just be like, what are you doing? But that's based on what I thought. See, I, for those of you who don't know, I, you know, if you're raised uh, an Adventist uh, and you are a Sabbath keeper, we were raised in a home where you did not turn on television you didn't watch anything on, on Sabbath, and that's just something that I grew up with. And so, I mean, to, so anyways, that's where I was coming from. That's how I was raised. And so immediately, immediately, I just wanted to just tear into him, right? He's been criticizing me for weeks, over and over and over and over and over. And I've just been taking it. Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks for sharing, you know. But now, now I've got this ammunition, right? Oh, and I so desperately want to use it. But something stopped me, because at that moment... If I would have uh, gone the other direction, if I would have gone critical, criticizing him, I would be doing exactly what he was doing to me. We've all been there. All of us have been there. Maybe not in the same particular situation. But we look at what someone else is doing, and we judge. We compare. 
It is natural. It is psychology. Think about it. How many of us have ever been on any sort of diet? Trying to, trying to just be healthier? Trying to lose a little weight? Whatever the case is, right? And you're finding some success, right? You're feeling good. You got more energy. You've lost some weight. You're looking, you know, just right. And someone else is, you know, you just see them. They are piling it up. You notice. You know why? Because you've been so focused on your plate, you can't help but be focused on someone else's plate. And there's a part of you that just wants to just get in there, just real get in there and be like, you know. If you just did what I do, you could be feeling better. You could have more energy. You, you know, you lose some weight. You'd look a little better. You know, you know how we are, right? It is a natural, it is a natural thing that as we do certain things, we look at what others do as well. And when we look at what other people are doing, it is natural to either say, ooh, they shouldn't be doing that, or at least I'm not doing that. Or, oh, they do that? That's great. It is natural. And Jesus is fighting against the natural over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. He knows what's natural. He knows what comes from the heart. And so now he is going to deal with this. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 is where we're going to begin And before we read that, in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, remember we went through all the Beatitudes. We were talking about the heart issues. He goes, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. So he goes on to describe what that means and what that looks like. Jesus is our righteousness. He transforms our heart from the inside out. But he said, you may be following rules externally but inside your heart needs a transformation and only Jesus can bring that he then goes on to talk really pretty boldly against the religious leaders of the day right don't be like the hypocrites who stand out on the street praying out loud for everyone to see if you're going to fast don't announce it to everyone I mean he's really digging after the warnings of, of what our religious piety can do in our life making us feel a little bit better about ourselves But now he goes into the disciple. He starts talking specifically to his followers. Obviously, he's been including them, but now he gets to a point that's very important because here's the reality. As they are listening to Jesus and they are understanding more and more what it means to be part of his kingdom and what it means to live a life differently as a disciple, we know, he knows, that they are then going to be very judgy to everybody else. You know why? Because it's natural. And that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing in the day. And he knew that he needed to address that to his followers who were going to be doing things differently than everybody else. And as they grew in their walk with Jesus, he knew it would be a temptation for them to be the standard themselves and then be judgy towards other people. Matthew chapter 7. Father, as we open up your word here, We need you to speak to us today, not me. I'm not the standard. We are not the standard. You are. And I pray that your word would speak loud and clear to us today and that you would anoint my lips and my minds that the words that I speak would be from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Judge not. Judge not. 
that you be not judged. Or another version would say, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Judge not. That word judge. The word judge can mean a lot of different things, can it? I mean, even in our context, the word judge can mean different things, and it was no different back then. The word, if you care, is crino, and it was this word that could mean all types of things, like discernment. That's, you know, have you ever made a bad call and you go, oh, I just had poor judgment, right? So the idea of, of discernment, the, uh, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, uh, evaluation, you're evaluating a situation. In the judicial litigation, they pronounce judgment, right? The judge <laughs> it will, will pronounce whether someone is guilty or innocent or whose side they choose. Judgment can also mean to give a reward. But oftentimes, and this is in the context, you always have to look at the context and how the word is used. And I believe that what Jesus is getting at is to pronounce guilt towards someone or to determine a person's fate. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't pronounce guilt. Do not determine someone's fate, lest you too will be judged. You too will be pronounced guilty, and your fate will be determined. In reference to this, this one line, judge not lest you be judged, in the thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, she says, do not set yourself up as a standard. Do not make your opinions, your views of duty, your interpretations of Scripture a criterion for others and in your heart condemn them if they don't come up to your ideal. She continues, do not criticize others, conjecturing as to their motives and passing judgment upon them. I think it's interesting when she says, do not make your opinions, your views of duty, your interpretations of Scripture a criterion for others. And then you condemn them when they don't match your ideas, right? Because here's the thing, and, and maybe I, we need a little, little lesson on... Um, the structure of the Adventist church for a moment, not organizational-wise, but belief-wise, doctrinally-wise, because this is important, because our church is a little unique. And so I'll just kind of give you a thing. There's three boxes in your head. Think of three boxes, okay? The first box would be doctrines or beliefs. We, we call them fundamental beliefs, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're based solely on Scripture, right? Everything that our fundamental beliefs, 28 of them, are all based on the Bible, and that's the core, right? That's, those are things that we teach, uphold, very, very important, right? In the middle box, we have what we call teachings, okay? The teachings of the church. 
All right, this would be things that, that we as a church find important. We find them in Scripture, but they're not explicitly stated in Scripture. Oftentimes, these would come out of things like the spirit of prophecy, things that Ellen White says, things like that, along those lines, okay? So those are teachings, not fundamental beliefs, but they're important too. We teach them. They should, you know, whatever, okay? Now, the third one is opinions, okay? And in the opinions section is based on how everyone in the church views the teachings and the fundamental beliefs and what we think or I think those things mean, Okay, those are the three areas, and I'm going to give you an example of how this works, and you will probably pick it up very quickly, okay? Let's just talk for a moment about food, all right? Fundamental belief. We get to the fundamental belief, and we look at what Scripture says, and we believe that because our bodies are the temple where the Spirit resides, we should take good care of them, right? And so one of those things that we look at that's probably different than most is what, what we eat in regards to the clean and unclean thing, right? And while there's, you know, debates all over the place on all of that, we look at the story of Noah, right? And there was a distinguishing mark between the clean and unclean beast. And we had seven clean that entered the ark. We had two unclean entered the ark. And so then later on in Leviticus, Moses spells that out what that means. And, and what's interesting, I could go through a whole different things of why we still uphold this, and this is not something that was done away with, but whatever, Okay. Fundamental belief, we say that one of the things, part of our health message, part of it, is that we would abstain from unclean foods and clean foods are okay to eat, right? So we look at the meats specifically, right? Animals. So what animals are we allowed to eat? What animals are we not allowed to eat, right? And so the clean would be, I don't want this to become like a seminar, but, you know, the clean would be things that like are split hooves and choose the cut. So we have cows, we've got deer, we've got buffalo, we've got, I don't know. Anyways, unclean pigs, raccoons, horses, camels, you know, things, sharks, that's in the, the whatever. Okay, so anyways, so we have all of that, right? So that's the fundamental belief. <laughs> clean, unclean. Teachings. One of the teachings that you'll find throughout the church is that we believe that while there's clean and unclean foods, one of the greatest things that you can, one of the, what's the greatest? That's not even what I want to say. But we teach that the better diet, I should say, the better diet would be that of a vegetarian diet, right? So we look at the Garden of Eden and what Adam and Eve ate, things like that. So that's a teaching. It's not required. It's not a test of fellowship, okay? We just teach that, hey, you want to be a little healthier? This is a way to, this is a way to do it. We, you do that. You can still be an unhealthy vegetarian. We know that, right? Okay? So the, I, I don't want to just pick on that because you could say, oh, sub, I don't want that meat on there, but I will take this bowl of sugar, okay? So anyways. So we have the fundamental belief, clean, unclean. Then we have the teaching of, hey, vegetarian is a good diet, things like that. Then we get to the opinion side of the world. Okay? And the opinion side is, well, let's just keep going down the line, would say that veganism is the only way to live. And unfortunately, with the opinion side of things, often we get confused about what was in the teachings and what was in the fundamental beliefs. Because then you have people that say, you won't make it to heaven unless you are completely vegan. Which is not what we believe. It's not what we teach. That's not... We, it, 
What you eat is not a test of, of whether or not you're going to make it into heaven. So fundamental belief, that's the, that's the core, the doctrine, the teaching, vegetarian opinion would be vegan. You can take this across the line of any belief that we have, okay? You can take that fundamental belief that we have, then you have a teaching about that belief or about what, what a better way. It's not necessarily straight out of biblical demands, but we find some good backing for it. And then there's the opinion side that says, well, you, we really want to do this or we really want to do that, okay? This area over here, if I can be completely blunt and honest, the opinion side of things, that's where the most critical things, the critical judgments come from. Because we're all in agreement over here. Yeah, okay, the Bible says that. And we're fairly in agreement here. Not everybody abides by it, but hey, you know, that's a personal choice. But here, man, we take those opinions to the bank. And when you don't live up to my opinion on how I interpret that, the teaching or the Bible or whatever or my own thing that I've pulled out of nowhere, well, then you're just not going to make it. You're just not, you don't take this thing seriously. You don't take this, you don't take Jesus seriously. You don't take the Bible seriously. I mean, all kinds of criticism comes out of this opinion box, unfortunately. And that's where we find the most hatred, the most just nasty things in the church is based on the opinion side of things. Fundamental belief. Worship the Lord. Don't have any other gods before him, right? Teachings. There are so many different ways to worship God. And wherever you live and wherever you go, this is our teaching of the church. Context and culture is everything. And so whether you go to Africa or you go to America or South America or Brazil, you go, to, you go to Europe, all worship is different. The main thing is worship the Lord your God. Worship in your context. Opinion. Drums are bad. And if there's any rhythm in that, then you're all going to hell. Critical spirit arises out of the opinion side of things. So while I, this is, I believe this is important because if you want to really have unity and you want to be able to get along, you are perfect, you are allowed to have your opinions. That's, they're yours. And if you're convicted of those things, by all means, live it up. That's what Paul says. If this is what you believe is, is good for you and your family, do it. But what Paul says, what Ellen says, and what Jesus says is you're not allowed then to make your personal opinion conviction and apply it to everybody else. And if they don't meet your standard, then they don't measure up and therefore they're not Christian enough, they don't follow Jesus enough, they're not Adventist enough. You name it, I've heard it all. And you want to know what you want to know what she says about that? I'll tell you what she says. Don't I sound judgy today? Do not set yourself up as a standard. What does she say later? What does she say later? Christ is the only true standard. And he who sets himself or herself up as a standard for others is putting himself or herself in the place 
of Jesus Christ. But what about righteous judgment? Right? I mean, doesn't Jesus tell us that we're supposed to judge with righteous judgment? I, you know how many times I've heard that? Couldn't tell you. I've had people that will just go around and they just critical on critical. And you say, hey man, like this is not what, this is, we are, pastor, we are to judge with righteous judgment. You know what, you're absolutely right. But let's look at the context of that, okay? So go to John chapter seven, everything in context. Remember that word judge can mean all kinds of things, right? And so you gotta look at the context. John seven twenty four is where you'll find it. And here's the thing is for a church who hates taking verses out of context, we love to take verses out of context. Okay, so 724 is where, where we find this. But it's in, a, it's in a section where something is happening. Jesus is teaching. Go back to verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon! That's what they said. Based on what Jesus is saying, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus is, you know, they're, they're clearly they're saying you've got a demon. You're, I mean, they think he's this evil guy based on what? Based on the appearance. Based on what he's doing outwardly. He's making a man whole. They get all upset. They're saying he's not keeping the law. He tells them, well, you don't keep the law either. You have found loopholes all over the place trying to get around it. And so he says, if you're going to judge, stop judging by appearances and you better get it right. And here's the reality. You and I can't get it right. We don't have the ability to see someone's heart and someone's motive, what's going on in their life, what, why they're doing what they're doing, all the different things, right? This is not saying that you don't know the difference between right and wrong. But when we are placing ourselves as the standard, and that's what they were doing, they had their own standard, and they're calling Jesus out for not reaching their standard, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't judge. But if you are going to judge, you better get it 100% right. And I think what Jesus is saying, there's no way that you can get it 100% right. Only God has the ability to see beyond what is on the outside and see what's on the inside. Now, there are, there's clearly a difference, as I've said, between the judgment in the, in the sense of condemnation and judgment as in discernment between right and wrong, good and evil. We are called to have discernment. 
we should be able to know, we need to know, for our own life, for our own walk, for our own families, all those things, we should know the difference between right and wrong. We're called to have discernment, but we are not called to be judgmental, and we're especially not called to be critical. Then what in the world are we supposed to do, Pastor? I see someone doing something. I can't just let them go by in their life and not correct them. I hear you. I hear you. Sometimes, sometimes there are things that you see. But I think there should, we should put some guidelines on it. Can we do that? Okay. What are we supposed to do? We see a brother or sister who is erring. We see something that just doesn't match up. Because the reality is, is that we continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus, right? And back to my previous illustration, I'll just tell you, people that find the truth in one thing, like they'll find the truth in the Sabbath, and this, how beautiful the Sabbath is, and they want to find a Sabbath-keeping church. And so they come, to, uh, they come to an Adventist church because it's a Sabbath-keeping church, and they begin to learn all the different aspects of what the Bible has to say about all different things. And they get to the point where, oh, I didn't know there was a difference between clean and unclean foods. That's interesting. I've got to study that out. I've got to pray about that. And they continue to do that. And they come to this conviction and realization that the Bible is still pretty accurate about that. And so they say, you know what? I've, I'm going to make that change. And they do. Because God is helping them and working in their life, and it's just, it's, it's beautiful, right? And now, now they've, they've done that. But they continue to go to church, and they continue to do, and they notice that, you know, that other people are, are, you know, some people eat meat, and some people don't eat meat, and things like that. But somebody gets a hold of their ear and says, you know, if you really want to be a good Christian, you should be a vegetarian. Because that's just what we do. <laughs> Whatever the reason is, Right? And so you, you transition from, okay, I've gone from eating everything to just clean, and now I'm going to go to the vegetarian route, and now you're vegetarian, and you've made that, that switch. And when you make that switch, you know what you do? You start looking. Oh, I got chicken on that plate. Mm-hmm. I'm vegetarian. Let's take it another step further because as time goes on, somebody gets their ear again and says, huh, if you want to be translated, <laughs> you need to be vegan. And that is the superior diet. And so they make that transition. They continue to grow because they want to keep growing. So they move into this veganism lifestyle. Anything wrong with it? Not at all. Is it healthier? Sure, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. It's fine. I've done it many times in my life. Apparently, I'm not very good at it. But, but when you get here, you start looking down the road. And you, you start to compare. Oh, I see those cheese enchiladas. I don't do that. It's fine that you don't do that. But you're starting to be critical of other people who have made their own choices and doing their own thing. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with an erring person? Now in this case, <laughs> this, is, this is one that there's a lot, there's a spectrum that goes all over the place. But I think that we need to establish some guidelines on how you approach a situation. Because eating something is one thing, but when you see a brother or sister 
who's destroying their life. They're making really poor choices and it's destroying their life, it's destroying their family's life. You just see it spiraling out of control and, and the, the reality is, is you don't want that. We're not talking about petty stuff here. We're not talking about opinion stuff. We're talking about someone who is truly making some poor choices and you know it. They've let you in on it, you've seen it, whatever the case is, what do you do? You ready? This is what you do. You walk up to him and you say, don't you know that God is extremely unhappy with you right now? And if you don't fix this, you're going to hell. I'm kidding, that's not what you do. Let's back up a moment, okay? The number one thing that you do, the very first, the very first thing that you do is you pray and ask for the Holy Spirit into your life. Because if, if you're looking at it and you see that they're spiraling out of control and you're critical towards it, you need a heart change. This isn't about being critical towards someone who's spiraling. Okay? Christ does not drive. He draws. Okay? He doesn't force it. He calls it. Like, it's, a, it's the way Jesus works. It's just amazing. And so he doesn't drive, he draws. And we are not to drive, we're to draw as well. And, and, and here's the thing, is, is one of the things that, that uh, is said in the Thoughts, Amount, and Blessings, it says, if Christ is in you, I love this, if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you will have no disposition to watch others. You will have no disposition to expose their errors. Instead of seeking to accuse and condemn, it will be your object to, listen, to help, to bless, and to save. Anonymous letters don't do that, by the way. And, and all that garbage. Anyways, ask for the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is not critical. The Spirit is full of love and joy and peace, long-suffering, patience, right? So ask for the Spirit. We are not out to condemn. We're out to save, to bless, to love. The second thing I think we need to do is we need to search our own heart. Why is this bothering me so much? Why is this bothering me so much? Now, if it's because this is, a, this is someone that I know well and I see the pain that is, that is there and that's coming, there's a motivation there to try to save my friend and his family. But if I'm finding nitpicky stuff, oh, they're wearing that? I can't believe they would wear that to church. Or they're eating that? I can't believe they would eat that. They're playing that? I can't believe that all, the, well, all that different stuff. Check your heart because here's, my, here's, here's the concern that I have. Are you trying to conceal something in your own life? I have found by experience, it's not always the case, but the most critical and the most judgmental are those that have something to hide. And they don't want anyone near them. They don't want people to see that side of them, so they put on a persona of religiosity, this pious behavior. And so if I am judge, judgy and critical in this manner, they know that I would never do something like that in my own home. But they're doing something a whole lot worse. 
And so if you find yourself being critical and judgy and oh, just bothered by all these things, I would say ask for the Holy Spirit and ask for the Spirit to search your heart and to see if there's anything in there that you're trying to conceal. And if there is, confess it, give it to God and, 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 and let's have a transformation of your life. Again, this little red book says, he who is guilty of wrong is the first to suspect wrong. By condemning another, he is trying to conceal or excuse the evil of his own heart. Do you think this is a light issue? Not at all. If we are critical towards others, we're constantly frustrated with how others are living their life. Here's something that I want to encourage you and call you to do. As you're praying these things, I want you to look to the cross. Look to the cross. He who looks often upon the cross of Calvary, remembering that his sins placed the Savior there, will never try to estimate the degree of his guilt in comparison with that of others. He will not climb upon the judgment seat to bring accusation against another. There can be no spirit of criticism or self-exaltation on the part of those who walk in the shadow of the cross. Oof, that's right. If you find yourself critical, look to the cross and realize, yes, it was ours, our action too, each one of us. Because Jesus came to take away all sin. If you're filled with the Spirit, this is the third one, which means that you're in Christ, you should be, hopefully by God's grace, full of love and your desire is to bless and not criticize. If you're in that place, in your head, in your mind, where you're saying, okay, I'm not critical. I'm here to bless. I'm here to save. I'm here to love. All right, let's go. You ready? Here's step number three. Stop. Just hold on one more. Because this is another thing that you should consider. Would you be willing to die for it? Would you be willing to die over what it is that you're seeing? Not until you feel that you could sacrifice your own self-dignity and even lay down your life in order to save an erring brother have you cast out the beam out of your eye so that you are prepared to help your brother. I think this speaks loudly because oftentimes we want to point that direction, but you know what the person that's spiraling needs? They need you to go and wrap your arms around them. They need you to go and, and, and love on them to be a blessing to them. You take them, I don't know, every situation is different. Maybe you take them to, to lunch or you take them to the park and you sit down and you say, brother, it's what I'm seeing. I, I see that there's some struggles here. There's some things going on. You want to talk about it? And they may not want to. 
I love you. And I don't want to, I, I just don't want to see you go down this road. There's so much pain involved in that. And your family and your kids or all, the, I mean, you start to just all of that. And it, the reality is, is I would be very close with this person, right? If I'm not close with that person, I probably shouldn't be the one that's going and trying to do this. <laughs> but I should find the one who is. I should find the people that are close to them and say, hey, would you be willing to go and reach out to sister so-and-so? It's just, you know, as a guy, it's not appropriate for me to go do that, but I know that you're close with them. And, and, and if, you, if, you're, if you care and you really want to do this, I invite you just to go and, and spend some time with them and pray with them and see if they need something. Because we're not about trying to condemn people. We're out to save people. We can't do the saving. I, you know that. I know that. We're pointing them back to Jesus. We're bringing them back. We're, we're holding on to them so they don't slip through the cracks. There's been a number of occasions that I've had friends of mine that have called me and they said, hey man, I'm getting ready to do this. And I had to talk them, I talked them off the ledge of whatever it was. And some of it was big and some of it was medium some of it seemed silly to me, but it was big for them, whatever the case is. And I spent hours with them. I couldn't be with them in person, so I spent hours with them on the phone. I wouldn't let them off the phone. We continued to talk and talk about the, tell me what's going on, what's, what's happening in your life. Why would you do this? There's sometimes I just, man, that is tough. That's, that is terrible. It's a terrible situation. Uh, and, and try to bring some glimmer of hope or something to the, to the, because we were so close, I could have those conversations with them. It wasn't condemning, it wasn't critical, it wasn't, hey dude, if you do this, I'm not gonna be your friend anymore. <laughs> if you do this, the church is never gonna accept you again. You know, just, no man, if you do this, I will still love you, I'll still be there for you, but I'm telling you, there are some major consequences that are gonna come with this. I, I'll do anything in my power. I will even give up my life if that's what it means for you to get yours back. When you're that close with someone and you realize that salvation is at stake, families are at stake, wives, husbands, children, you'll do anything to save it. When you're in, filled with the Spirit and you recognize what Jesus has done, you recognize what Jesus has done in your life, this is no longer about me judging. This is about Christ redeeming. No one has ever been reclaimed from a wrong position of censor and reproach. But many have thus been driven from Christ and led to seal their hearts against conviction. When you approach it with criticism, you'll chase people away. Do not judge. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? You see, we're asking for the Spirit. We're asking Him to search our hearts. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is still calling us to be discerning. 
Maybe we can talk about that another time, but this comes down to this. Love more, judge less. Please, I've heard story after story from the past of this church where someone has said something to someone and they've walked away. Our words, how we approach, what we do, it's bigger than you think it is. You may be thinking that you're trying to save some of your embarrassment or whatever and and actually you're driving them away. Love more. Love more. When you want to be critical, love more. When you want to be judgy, love more. When they're not meeting your expectations, love more. Love more. Who knows what Christ can do with that love? Father in heaven, we thank you for a pretty bold reminder today that we we are not the standard. You are. Forgive us, Father, where we have replaced you for our own. And we've put ourselves in the place of Christ because we thought we knew best. We thought that our way was the best way. Lord, may we be discerning and li- live by the convictions on our, on our hearts and our lives. There's, I know that you would want us to do so. The convictions of, that your Bible talks about, the convictions that your Spirit has put upon our hearts. But Lord, when others are not living to the same level or expectation that we think everyone should be, may we not be critical. May we not go talk behind their back going and telling somebody else what you saw. Lord, may we ask you to fill our hearts. Would you search our hearts and rid us of anything we're trying to conceal and put a love in our hearts so deep that we would be willing to die in place for that person and what they're doing. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient and kind with us. And in the moments that we were erring and we were sinners and we were doing the things that we shouldn't have done, you showed up. And you didn't show up with a gauntlet. You showed up with your blood and with a hand outstretched. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. May we find our rest in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.